0: Hi everyone, um, we are reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 to 21. It's behind me or in your Bibles. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed by it, puffed up. But in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me, That God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up until this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you, as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to intimidate me. For this reason I've sent you to Timothy, my son who I love, who who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I'll find out not only who these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. So what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with gentle spirit?
1: I apologize that there's been a lot of Lachlan tonight. Um, I, don't, I have no excuse, it's just I apologize for it. Um, if you don't normally regularly attend church, then this is part of the evening when we open God's Word together and we try and understand what God is teaching us from the Bible. And so what I'm going to do right now is hopefully help us understand better what God is teaching us through, those pas- through that passage that was just read. Now, for those of you who have been attending 6 p.m. church for the last few weeks, you'll know that we're in the middle of a series looking at the biblical book of 1 Corinthians. Now, for the youth in the room who haven't been attending regularly, that's okay because we actually covered 1 Corinthians at youth last year. In fact, Nick gave a talk on this very passage at youth almost exactly a year ago. So, by my calculations, the only people in the room who have no idea what's going on is the year 7s, and that's pretty normal for them. <laughs> Sorry, you sevens, you're, you're an easy target. Now, let me get us all onto the same page. Let me tell you the entire point of this sermon at the very, very beginning. Paul, who is the author of this letter, is telling the Corinthian Christians who he's writing to, to stop being prideful and imitate me. That is what Paul is teaching. So let me say that again, but apply it to us. The point of tonight's sermon is to teach you to stop being prideful and imitate those Christians who are further along the journey than you. Now, let me speak directly to the youth for a moment. This means that the application of tonight's sermon is to imitate your youth leaders. Now, to be clear, I do not want you trying to imitate The way Sarah Moynan used to eat dead flies as a child. Or the way Riley Shadlow couldn't ride a bike until he was in high school. Or the way Rowan is known to sometimes take a surfboard to the beach because it looks cool, despite not being able to surf. (laughs) Or the way James holds the record for making the most amount of chicken in an hour at KFC in New South Wales. Pretty impressive. Or the way Amber is allergic to lawn bowls. Amber, I still do not understand how that's possible. Or the way I could name every single bird, dinosaur, or Pokemon when I was in primary school. No, you are not meant to imitate your youth leaders in those ways. You're meant to imitate your youth leaders' character and the way they follow Jesus. To the youth leaders and the other adults in the room tonight, Your application tonight is twofold. First, I just told all the youth to imitate you. So live a life worthy of God. Live a life worth imitating. Your second application for the adults in the room is to find and identify Christians who are further along the journey than you and imitate them. Now, I'm actually going to start stepping through this passage to show you, hopefully, how Paul is teaching this. And so I'm going to reread verses 6 and 7 for us. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up being a follower of one of us against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Now, if you were here last week, you would have heard and been taught that the Corinthians' biggest problem, the biggest problem this church of people had, was pride. And the way they expressed that pride was through which ministry leader they claimed as their own. This is like getting a kid, a youth, and a young adult all from Naui Baptist Church into the one room. And instead of being united in their love for God and for His church, they instead argued over who was the better leader. Robin, myself, or Matt. Now, obviously, the kid is right. It's Robin. It's no competition. But such a discussion is so divisive, so, so divisive. And if that discussion continued, it would literally tear our church apart. And in fact, it was tearing the Corinthian church apart. So to counter this, Paul holds himself and another worker of the gospel, Apollos, up as two examples of men who just live their lives by simply obeying the word of God. Now, Paul has quoted five different portions of the Old Testament already in this letter. He uses it as his authority and as his standard. And while he's about to go on and ask the Corinthian Christians to imitate him, he wants to start off by saying that the only true standard of what is right and what is wrong is not Christian leaders, but is God's word. If after this sermon tonight, you start trying to imitate a Christian leader, great. But if they ever do something that isn't in line with God's Word, do not imitate that. Now, it has been just over 500 years since the Reformation, where multiple different Christian denominations came into existence, leaving the Catholic Church behind. And one of the questions I get asked almost more than any other question as a youth pastor, is the difference between Catholics and Protestants. Now, there are obviously several differences, but one of the key ones is our view of Scripture, our view of God's Word. One of the great slogans of the Reformation was this Latin phrase, sola scriptura, which means the Bible alone. Now, there's three things that we can learn or know about the Bible from this slogan. First, it means that Scripture is the supreme authority over the Church. Now, under the Catholic system, it is God's Church which is imbued with that highest authority. And so the authority to select even what is Scripture lies with the Church itself. However, as good Protestants, we instead think that authority is only to be found in the Scripture and is just our job to identify what is the Scripture, and that has been done by faithful Christians before us. And so this... This God's Word, as Paul is teaching from and is quoted in his letter, is to be a highest authority. This doesn't necessarily mean the only authority, but it is the one at the very, very top of the hierarchy. Everything else we believe must be informed by and must ultimately submit to what Scripture teaches. Secondly, Scripture is sufficient. The Catholic Church in the 16th century believed that Christianity needed various extra rituals and beliefs to kind of supplement what was taught in the Bible. However, the Reformers said that everything that was necessary for being a Christian could be found within these pages. It is sufficient. Thirdly, the clarity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture meant that any person could read the Bible for themselves and discover the basic way of salvation. Yes, the Bible is often very confusing. There are parts that even Ange and I probably don't even understand. I appreciate that I put myself on the same level of ange in that sentence. But, totally lost my place. That wasn't a planned joke. Um, anyway, <laughs> the Bible is quite confusing in certain parts, but the clarity of Scripture means that everything that is essential for salvation is clear. So, why there is a lot of complexity, why there is a lot of depth, everything needed for salvation is clear. And I think Paul captures all three of these themes when he instructs the Corinthians to not go beyond what is written. That is what he's talking about. What is written is the scripture, and he instructs them to not go beyond what is in that word, in either beliefs or in actions. Paul then asks a bunch of rhetorical questions in verse 7, all designed to lead us to the conclusion that humility is the only way forward. We must be humble as we approach God's word, and we must be humble because it is God who gives us everything we have and therefore it is God alone who is deserving of praise. There is nothing for you or for me to be prideful of. Everything is from God. It is like being handed the keys to a brand new car by your parents. I know, must be really, really nice. And then going to all of your friends and bragging about this new car that you've been given. Now, if your parents ever heard you bragging this way, they would think to themselves... How can you be so proud of something you simply received as a gift? Now, to make matters even worse, the only person you are bragging about your new car to was also given a car from their parents. This is the situation the Corinthians are in. They are bragging about their God-given gifts among themselves. They each have a gift from God. They each have something they can thank God for, and they're bragging to each other about the gift Now, when you take a step back, that doesn't actually make sense. That is not something worth bragging about. And that is what Paul is pointing out by asking these rhetorical questions. He suggests that it is time to stop being proud and to start being humble. Let's move now onto verses 8 to 13. I'm also going to reread these verses for us. Already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish you really had begun to reign, so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we are hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Now, what we've actually just read here is an incredible paragraph where Paul uses a lot of irony. You see, upper status Corinthians would often boast about their self-sufficiency. And Paul is saying that is seeped into the church. That culture does not belong in the church, but it is seeped in. The Corinthian Christians thought that they were rich, that they were kings, that they were wise and strong and honored. And Paul wishes that this was true, because if all of this was true, if they were kings, then he would be reigning with them. But this is not the reality. Paul and the other apostles of Christ are instead called to look foolish, to look weak, and to endure suffering. Instead, the Corinthians were claiming all that they wanted, but they should have been hungering and thirsting for the righteousness they so desperately needed, which mimics Jesus' teaching, His famous words in the Sermon on the Mount. They thought that they were kings, they thought that they were honorable, in need of nothing— But instead, they were as needy as anyone else. Now, Paul says that he and the other apostles are on display in front of the whole world. Even the angels are watching them as they are marched and paraded towards their death, just like Jesus was. Now, Paul is probably thinking of the Roman triumphal procession in which captured enemy soldiers were paraded through the streets before being publicly executed in the arena. This would be a bit like if the Australian football team was being celebrated through the streets while the poor Peru team was forced to march behind them, looking sad and disheartened, shameful and embarrassed with the eyes of the world watching their every move. That is what Paul feels like with everyone watching him. But Paul says that this is the way of being a Christian, following what Jesus went through when he was paraded through the streets and forced to carry his own cross up that hill, to be executed before the seen and the unseen worlds. Paul's point is that the life of a follower of Jesus is not going to be glamorous. If you think this, then you haven't understood the seriousness of Christianity. Paul, who we are to imitate, says that a Christian will look like a fool to unbelievers. We will look weak, we will be dishonoured. When we are cursed, we are to bless. When we are persecuted, we are to endure it. When we are slandered, we must answer kindly. These are hard callings. On Friday night, we actually had Liambo, who's the Mandarin pastor here at Naui, join us at youth. And he shared his story of being cursed, his story of being persecuted, his story of being slandered. If we are looking for people to imitate and people to learn from in these areas, we can turn to someone like Liambo, who follows the example of Paul, who follows the example of Christ. Paul ends by saying that a true follower of Christ will literally look like scum and garbage against the backdrop of the world. The word he uses here literally means that which is cleaned off. And so what I'm hoping is that no one has cleaned this piano for a while. You can't see it, but that's quite gross and dirty. That is literally what Paul is saying Christians are. They are what is left over or cleaned off when you clean. Scum and garbage is what Christians are to look like. Paul then goes on to say in verses 14 to 17, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love. Who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Now, the irony we saw in the paragraph beforehand has now given way to love. Paul was harsh with the Corinthians, but that's because he loved them. He deeply loves them and he wants them to have a change of heart. His motivation for this was the love of a father. Now, in Corinthian society, Those who are rich would have servants, known as guardians, who would accompany young sons to school and look after them. Paul assures the Corinthian church here that they have lots and lots of guardians and protectors just like this. But there was only one person on earth who could really call himself their father, and that is Paul because he brought them the gospel and started their entire life as a Christian. And as their father, he wants them to imitate him. And so we finally hit the very, very heart of the passage. Paul's call to imitate him. And this is not a unique command by Paul whatsoever. Paul calls churches and individuals in the Bible to imitate him six times in the New Testament. Firstly, in our passage, later in the same book, 11 verse 1, where he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He says it twice in the book to the Philippians. First, 3.17, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And then later, in 4.9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Then in the second letter he writes to the Thessalonians, 3.7, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. And finally, in the letter that he writes to Timothy, 3.11, You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings. Now imagine, right now, just imagine, that you had the ability to declare to someone that they should imitate you. Now I used to jokingly tell those that I led that they should do what I say, not what I do, which is literally the exact opposite of what Paul is teaching here. But before we discuss that, let's look at why such a command is important. Why is this necessary? So I have a quick illustration for you. In the 1980s, the park rangers at a South African wildlife preserve were concerned that the preserve could no longer support all the elephants that were living there. They made the heartbreaking decision to actually kill many of the adult elephants who were old and whose young were old enough to survive without them. And so all these young elephants grew up fatherless. As time went on, many of these young elephants roamed together in gangs and began doing things that elephants don't normally do. They threw sticks and they threw water at the rhinos in the preserve, and they acted like neighbourhood bullies. A few of the young male elephants grew so violent that they started to knock down the rhinos, step on them, and crush the life out of them. 39 white rhinos died before the park rangers took action to stop it. The park rangers theorized that these young, teenage elephants were acting badly because they had no role models. The solution was to bring in a large male to lead them and to counteract their behavior. Soon, this new adult male established dominance and put the young elephants in their places. The young elephants were mentored and the killing stopped. The Corinthians are these young elephants. They think they know what is best but they are just running amok and causing damage to the reputation of Jesus and his church. They need a father figure. They need a role model to imitate and pull them into line. Paul is putting himself up as that figure so that they can be mentored and the church in Corinth can be saved. But again, I comment, imagine having the ability to declare to someone that they should imitate you because it does not take much humility to admit that my life is not as good a model as Paul's. Now, I found this quote by John Bloom, and I must say I resonate with every single word of this quote. He says, I am more selfish than Paul was. I'm not as passionate about the gospel. I'm not as joyful. I'm not as thankful. I'm not as focused and rigorous in my pursuit of attaining the resurrection as Paul was. I don't anguish over the state of lost people, or discipline my body like Paul did. You see, like John Bloom, and like all of us here, I suspect, I am not as good a role model as Paul. But neither was Timothy. Timothy had spent many years following Paul, and trying to imitate him in every way he could. And while he wasn't at the same standard as the Apostle Paul, he was far closer to it than the Corinthians. This is why Paul sends Timothy to them, as an example of someone who imitates him, and as someone that they too should imitate. I may not be as joyful or as thankful or as focused as Paul was, but if I'm trying to imitate him, then I should be further along that journey than someone who has just come to know Jesus. And if they follow my example, as I follow the example of older Christians, as they follow the example of older Christians, as they follow the example of Christ, then the whole church is growing towards Christ-likeness. Now, I hear some of you say, why not just follow Christ and skip this whole middle step? Jesus is our best example of how to live. Jesus was the perfect example. And often by reading his very word, we can understand exactly what he would have thought in certain situations. We can figure out what he would have thought about speeding or swearing or drinking in excess or smoking We can figure that out from the Bible, but it is far more concrete to watch another person's life, to watch the life of someone that you go to church with, to watch the life of someone you see regularly. And then you can see how they handle those situations. It is so much easier to learn from witnessing that firsthand, which is why I think Paul sets up this model that all of us here tonight, I'm encouraging you to start to follow. So, To all of the older people in the room, which is mostly this side, you should be looking for young people and saying, come, watch me, and I'll show you how to do Bible studies. Come on, let me take you through some of the fundamentals of the faith. You should be saying, let me show you how to pray. You should be saying, let me show you how to be a Christian husband, a Christian father, a Christian wife, a Christian mother, a Christian friend, a Christian leader. To the youth and the younger people in the room, find an older Christian and say to them, teach me how to study the Bible. Find someone and say to them, take me through the fundamentals of the faith. Teach me how to pray. Show me how to be a Christian son, a Christian daughter, a Christian partner, a Christian friend, a Christian servant. Now, a moment of reflection from me. I don't know how well we currently do this. That's from either the imitator side or from the example side. An example that seems particularly relevant for me right now is that I'm recently married and no one ever taught me what a devotion time over God's Word looks like between a husband and a wife. Now, M and I have sort of made something up, but the smarter decision for us would have been to seek out an older Christian and ask them to teach us how to do family devotions. So while we as a church may not be excellent at this right now, if even just some of the people sitting in this room tonight feel convicted enough to find someone older to teach them or younger to invest in, we can solve this problem that it is of our own making. I'm going to wrap up this sermon by reading the final section of the passage. Verses 18 to 21. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I was not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? Now, obviously, some of the Corinthians here were becoming really arrogant and thought that Paul would not return to their city. They would say that Paul would not dare face them. Paul assures them that such an assumption is totally wrong, and he will come very soon, subject as always to the Lord's will. Now, when Paul arrived in Corinth, he would come with the same power that had convinced all of the Corinthians to become Christians, that had convinced them that his gospel was true and right. And Paul ends by asking if they wanted that power to now be used for discipline instead of for proclamation. However, discipline was not a sure, guaranteed thing. They could always stop being prideful and imitate Paul. And for us, we can also end with that same big idea that we must stop being prideful, stop assuming we know exactly how to be a Christian, and instead imitate those Christians who are further along the journey than us. That is my biggest encouragement for all of you tonight, but also specifically for you, James and Eric. Thank you for standing up here and declaring Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now continue your journey as Christians by following those Christians who are further along the journey than you. Let me pray for all of us. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that every good gift is from you, and thank you for the direction you give us in your word. We pray that we may be humble because of and before both of these things. We ask that you would highlight people in our lives to imitate, so that we may grow in Christ's likeness. I also pray that you would allow our lives to be examples to those imitating us. Amen.